next. Future CEOs on cliffcentral.com. Welcome back to Future CEOs, everybody. Just a quick reminder that my name is Tubin Boyer Arnold, and I'm with Gareth Armstrong. And a, a very good conversation with the managing director of Network BBDO, who did some really, really good work with Coronation. It is a great time to be alive because. Future CEOs is now proudly brought to you by Coronation, day in and day out. Since Coronation started 25 years ago, they'll never stop working to earn your trust and make your money work for you. Coronation, trust is earned. All right. Now, talking about trust, and trust is such an important point for for all of us, and, and on an ongoing basis, our conversations here in studio. And I reflect back, and I think of how many conversations we've had with 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 people who have real depth, and you can almost instinctively feel that there's a trust and and something there that that you can trust. Where and we've also had one or two duds, <laughs> <laughs> and that then that's the truth. Um, where you you walk away and you think this this person it doesn't really the have authenticity. What, yeah, they don't really have. It. It's not. It's not there. It's not it's depth. All right. Well, I, we have another conversation like that lined up. Unfortunately, you not weren't part of this conversation. It is a, a, a conversation that I had with the CEO of G Maven, Will Harris, and. Uh, I think he was a, he was a little nervous. G Maven, what's that? G Maven, you know what you have to do. You have to listen to the conversation okay, okay. to understand what okay. G Maven does. But they, it's uh, lots of. Technical stuff, okay. but uh, over and above, or moving away from the technical, Will was a, uh, a rem- uh, he has remarkable insights and a very, um, I think, a history that I can trust, uh, or and or almost immediately I learned to trust. So what we're going to do is we're going to play that Love conversation, that. Can't wait. and we will then add a little bit to it at the end of of this half hour. We'll see you a little in, in a short little while after this. Will Harris, CEO of G Maven. Welcome to Future CEOs. Thank you very much, Mr. Armstrong. I've not been called Mr. Armstrong by someone who is so close to my age before, so you're welcome to call me Gareth, and I'm going to call you Will. (laughs) So we appreciate you coming and sharing your journey and your story with us. Let's begin with a little bit of an introduction to you. Just give us a brief overview, your background, how you got to this point. Born in Joburg, uh, spent my formative years, I'd say, down in Natal. I went to Marisburg College, grew up in Hilton. Went to Rhodes University afterwards, where leaders learn, studied accounts, uh, managed to pass in, in, in a lot of time, and then went on to KPMG, finished articles, did some time in the States with them, with San Francisco, funny enough, at Silicon Valley Bank, they were our primary client, um, went back to Sassel, and then actively have been uh, independent uh, since then. How did the independence come about? So, so give us a little bit of background there. <laughs> I, I got offered quite a nice uh, job I was quite young to, to go be to IC of quite a small division in uh, in Sassel Gas down in Durban and uh, I was quite reluctant to leave my, my mates in Joburg and uh, one of my mates' dads heard about it and uh, he's the top broker of commercial property in South Africa, a chap by the name of Jeff Karadok Davies. He just got me to join his back office. The maths is quite simple. You can spend 10 to 15 years as a CA plugging away. Your objective every day is to not make a mistake. Your reward is to not get in trouble or you can get involved in the cut and thrust of business off the bat. Um, and, and that's what uh, being involved in his commercial property brokerage uh, back office gave me a chance to do. I worked with the chap for a while. Uh, we couldn't come to terms, and uh, my only option was to, to exit and, uh, and, and start from scratch. Hmm. So starting from scratch is quite an interesting place to be starting from. 
just talk us through that a little bit because we've got, we have a lot of entrepreneurs or budding entrepreneurs that are listening to this as well. Just talk us through some of the feelings that you had there, some of the general things that you faced as you did that. Okay, some, some good context to that little tale is uh, I'd been making money quite nicely on the stock market from when I started articles in 2003. I think in, in uh, 2003, the, the JSC was around 7,000, 8,000, um, and it ran to about 23,000 by 2008. And, and there were, that story about a, a rising tide and all ships rise is, was very true. Just before I headed off and became independent, I got involved in weapons of mass destruction, as Mr. Warren Buffett called it, and had a, had a long position on a listed uh, entity, which is the Goldman Sachs of South Africa at the time. It's called Peregrine, and the thing turned really badly against me, and I lost mm. a, a couple of hundred thousand rand, uh, just under a million bucks in, a, in about four months. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not, not anything that I think we want to wish on anyone. And I think that was quite a good time to, to then, uh, with quite a small balance sheet in hand, to go and start your own business from scratch. And, and, and that was the environment I found myself in. There have certainly been um, less stressful times in my life, let's put it that way. And some of the issues that maybe you faced initially, how did you decide uh, what direction you were going to go into as you were starting out? Big step back, I'm, I'm obviously a huge fan of, of how technology can automate processes and how the computer can do the work, and, and I love efficiency and I hate waste. And that's what presented in, in, in the commercial property industry, particularly presented a quite a nice opportunity to, to do things differently, to do things better, to harness the, the power of technology. And, and that was a very strong competitive advantage, which I hope to, to leverage. I think to talk to the feelings, you, you obviously... I think there comes a point where your, your, your passion's activated and you don't really think it's not too much of a intellectual decision. You've, you've just got to go with your heart and, and get going. Hey? Mm. Okay, so give us a little bit of background regarding G-Mavens. You're speaking about data, you're speaking about property. That's where it all comes together, is it not? So as with most businesses, success in, in, in commercial property is, is a function of, of three things, information, relationships and efficiency. The quality of uh, decisions is a function of the information at your disposal. Good information, good decisions, poor information or incomplete information, and uh, your probability of making a good decision is, is diminished. Secondly, when, when you talk to the efficiency component of, of business, business is, is highly competitive, outcomes are binary, there's a very strong case for, for first mover advantage. The quicker you can turn around, the better your levels of service, the stronger your competitive advantage and the more likely you are to provide a superior level of service compared to your competition. And then the, the relationship pieces, it's very important. The maximum businesses about relationships is incredibly true. As men, to talk in generalizations, we're not as good at managing information about human beings in our, in our brains. Um, and so technology also can, can assist you with managing that, that third piece to your business. Mm. Bringing G-Maven? G-Maven is, is effectively a fusion of two things, software as a service and, uh, and, and big data. The software as a service talks to the automation, efficiency, the, the ability for businesses to focus on their core while the computer does the work in the background assisting them in, 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 in their core business. The data piece relates to the fact that businesses, specifically enterprises, require business information. If you're a fast food retailer, your business is about selling burgers, getting people in, marketing your, your brand. It's, it's not about managing information, researching, pulling in external data against your internal data. And, and that's, that's what we fortunately found ourselves in. We, we manage uh, three 
data bases out there uh, that are highly relevant to decision makers in a business environment. The database of properties, we, we don't focus on residential property. There are other guys who, who do that better out there. Our focus is on commercial property. And these databases are all in, interconnected. Uh, database of uh, of consumers, again, the focus is on high-end consumers. They tend to be directors of, of these companies and shareholders, influential players in these organizations. Um, and finally, a database of the businesses themselves, either businesses who, who own the properties or businesses who happen to be tenants in the properties. That all lives in, the, in, in this umbrella of uh, geopoints, being at uh, shopping centers, schools, police stations, fire stations, hospitals, businesses being KFCs, Virgin Actives, McDonald's, Engine shells, collection points becomes a path, so public transport arterials, things like your car train bus, your BRTs, your IRT down in Cape Town, my city bus, um, and then extending to fiber routes, and then the final P is what we call polygons, and, and these are things like business nodes, so defined areas, what Samton CBD looks like, or what Centurion looks like, or um, catchment areas relevant to specific businesses um, and, and assets out there. As you can see, we're very deep down the data rabbit hole. Businesses is all about competitive advantages, and businesses achieve these competitive advantages by focusing on their core competencies and, and obviously by pulling in best breed experts to assist them in, their, uh, in aspects of their business that are very important to their business but that are non-core. Um, and so certainly we, we cannot sell burgers uh, like McDonald's and we can't move fuel like Shell and we can't do property like Redefine, but we can certainly assist them uh, with, with all the other moving parts uh, that's non-core to their business. So if I meet you in an elevator, give me the pitch. Give me, <laughs> give, me the, give me the two lines. We make businesses win, and we do this by helping them with data and uh, making the computer do the work. Great pitch, because that really leads me into a whole bunch of different questions, part of which you've answered here. All right, so let's move away from G-Maven and the business itself, and let's talk a little bit about you, because that's really what this discussion is all about. We've got a community of young entrepreneurs, young executives who are trying to do their very best to grow their businesses and fast-track their careers. You are, in many ways, an, an icon to them. A first question. In your mind, what does it take to be a CEO? Okay, and, and that's a good question. The best response is, is one word, and it's humility. As a CEO, you have to accept that you're going to be jack of all trades and, and master of none. There are going to be people in your organization at, in many of the verticals and in, in the businesses that you're involved in who will be superior to you in, in their spaces, and you'll be outshone by them, and you'll be outshone by them on a daily basis. You have to accept this, and, and you have to encourage this, and... And you, to do this, you have to be humble. David Ogilvy of uh, Ogilvy and Mather had a lovely uh, gesture when, when he appointed a, a head of an office in, in the Ogilvy and, and Mather chain. He'd send them a box with Russian dolls, those dolls that are large and small and smaller, and you sort of fit them all into each other. And inside the smallest doll, you'd find a, a little note written by him personally, and it, it says, uh, if each of us hires people who are smaller than we are, we shall become a company of dwarfs. But if each of us hires people who are bigger than we are, we shall become a company of giants. Fantastic. That's a really good principle. I think the, the second point about what does it take to be a CEO, uh, there's a fantastic book written by a guy called uh, Ben Horowitz of Andreessen Horowitz, um, a, a top uh, VC firm in the Valley in, in the States. It's called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And uh, there's three jobs that a CEO has to do and, and three ways to evaluate a, a CEO. Does the CEO know what to do? And that's made up of two legs, 
strategy and then the speed and quality of decisions. Second piece is can the CEO get the company to do what he or she knows? And that's composed of many moving parts. It's building a quality team, having a clearly defined mission, and creating an environment that facilitates contribution of, of human beings and creating an organization that is structured to scale and grow. And then finally, and possibly less relevant, but does the CEO achieve the desired results against an appropriate set of objectives? The last point on that is probably just Peter Drucker's uh, insights, uh, the fact that business has only two functions, marketing and, and innovation. If you can keep a, a focus on those two um, and, and execute on these, then uh, you fulfilling your biggest, most important mandate. Mm. Oh, very nice. Very, very good comments. Thank you very much. So your development journey is very important to our, our community, our future CEOs. There have to have been some mistakes that you've made along the way. Most CEOs actually just laugh and say there's been a lot of mistakes that they've made along the way. Would you mind sharing a couple of those with us? Maybe before you started your own thing, maybe after, it's up to you. And just some of the lessons that you learned. I have made, I have made mistakes, and I suppose it's how you respond and, and, and react to them, which is important. Charlie Munger's got an exceptional speech um, where he talks about the 24 areas of human judgment. And I think a lot of mistakes will, will be around deluded thinking or inability to be pragmatic or assess situations correctly. One of them is probably just, I tend to be optimistic by nature. I think all entrepreneurs at, at heart are uh, optimistic. And it's, I think often you, you are, you perceive other people's actions through your, your veil of values. And oftentimes, it's difficult to, to be incredibly pragmatic when evaluating the, the data you've been providing by, by people's actions. A very good example of this is that uh, when the frog's taking the scorpion over a river, and uh, obviously the frog's giving the scorpion a lift, and the, the scorpion's at the frog's mercy. Unfortunately, halfway through, the scorpion uh, stings the frog, killing the frog and drowning the scorpion. And while they're busy gasping for air, the, uh, the the frog asks him why I did it, and the scorpion just says, "Well, that's what scorpions do. We we sting people." Mm. <laughs> that's quite a good lesson about predicting how things will will unfold and, and being pragmatic in your responses. Mm. Do you have an example or two from your own history? I think getting in business with with mates and and, and trying to do uh, guys favors, thinking more with your your, your friendship brain than than your than your business brain. Oftentimes, you can be overly optimistic and, and attempt to, to put square pegs into round holes. You're not doing anybody any favors. There's a good maxim that, that says, hire slow, fire fast. Apparently, nobody's ever regretted firing someone too early. Yeah, sometimes, you've, you've got to make hard calls and, frankly, not, not bullshit yourself and, and, and the people involved because it's a two-way thing. Mm. And I think as you grow in experience, you, you, you hopefully be become a better judge of people and, and are they best deployed in organizations that you're responsible for and for their own good and yours you, you often have to make a quick call and, and it's sometimes a hard call to make What you have just mentioned doing business with friends is um, a very difficult place to be and so we really appreciate your comments regarding that because I would say that there are very very few businesses that uh, certainly I've come across that have worked out Mm. Uh, where you are in business with a friend, but as a result of, and you've just said it, thinking with the friendship brain versus thinking with a business brain. Mm. So there are a couple of responses to that. The best thing to do is to, to have a very clear understanding of your, your strengths, your weaknesses, your red buttons, 
your values and your and your longer term objectives. There's a lot of merit in having an unromantic conversation up front, exploring these things. It'll save a lot of pain down the road. And as also another saying goes, uh, some of the best deals are the ones you don't do. Along with that, there there's some really good shareholder agreements which also define a lot of the expectation gaps and eliminate communication gaps up front. You can cover yourself with vesting. You, you can cover relationships with definitions of, of KPIs and, and roles and responsibilities. And it, obviously it eliminates all the sort of magical fairy dust, but it, it also makes for a, a far tighter and better relationship. Saying that, there's some wonderful businesses formed between friends. And interestingly, you, you see a lot of successful businesses run by brothers for, for some reason that those tend to work quite well mm. interestingly no no that is interesting w- what you just mentioned now this is not necessarily business related but certainly relationship related and in businesses there are relationships mm. uh, but one of the biggest causes for relationship breakdown is unmet expectations sure and so your comment in terms of developing or creating expectations, KPIs you mentioned as well, is a very good point. So I hope everyone that is listening is listening carefully because uh, we're getting some good insight here. <laughs> With, without all the, all the hard-run school fees. Yeah, exactly. What don't leadership and management books teach about being a CEO? So you, you started a company, you, you've grown the company You've moved from perhaps being a specialist to being a bit more of a leader. What don't these books or aren't they able to to share or encapsulate about that journey? Hmm. Yeah, Gareth, I'm going to go with the unpopular answer here, and I'm and I'm actually going to say not much to be honest. But then you have to know where to find the the, the right books and the right data. There's there's so much good literature out there. Amazon has got an amazing recommendations engine, and, and there's some fantastic uh, researchers of, of business information who you can leverage off to provide you with some really good insights. I mean, the, the beauty of a book is it will take someone a, a lifetime to accumulate the knowledge, and, and you can consume it all in 12 to 16 hours. Mm. And there are people who have, by virtue of the free market, who have covered many topics in, in business, and people who are far brighter than, than, than myself. I can't talk for you um, with, with all this information out there. So from a technical perspective, perhaps we can, as you say, take a lifetime of information and experience and it's condensed and, and it's accessible to us. From a transitional perspective or point of view, you moving from being a specialist to, to having to manage people, mm. What, mm. what has been your experience in terms of that? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, there are a lot of head boys of schools who've gone on to be head boys of businesses. Uh, at, at school, uh, I wasn't a prefect. I played pretty poor sport. I, I, I did my best, but uh, I, I just didn't have the, have, have the raw materials. So it's interesting. I wasn't really primed to, to be a leader. I think it's just about just having quite a clear understanding at a deep fundamental level about having worked, I think, in, in organizations and, and seeing what presses your buttons and, and what aggravates you. I think it's quite simple. You've got to be a learner. You've, you've got to constantly uh, try and improve yourself and better yourself. You have to lead by example. You've got to be extremely consistent. And you've got to have quite a clear idea of your values in, in your business. And you've got to support those values and, and really honor them. Mm. So your biggest light bulb moment as you have now come into this role of CEO, an aha moment, as they call it? <laughs> I'm, I'm quite a soft person, so I suppose it's, uh, I'm allowed to be demanding. I'm, I'm allowed to be quite specific in, in how I want things and expect, as, as compensation for salary, people to, to toe the line and, and to deliver their part of the reciprocal uh, salary relationship. I would say that another one is 
especially when you when you're running your own business and the financial stresses mount and, and it's an incredibly pressured and stressful environment, you just have to almost transition to to a space of acceptance and, and faith and somehow down manage your, your stress around finances. If you can do that, it's, it will change things. And I, again, you've got to be incredibly naive, but if you believe that, that you do things on a fundamentally good level and try and do really deeply good things with your business, the universe will somehow support that and, and reinforce that. And I've, I've found that the, the more that I've pulled towards that way of doing things, the more that I've looked for business opportunities and pursuits in, in that space, the more the universe has responded and, and assisted. We, we're not sitting around here and cross-legged <laughs> burning incense, but <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. If you were, I would definitely be sharing it with the listeners. So unfortunately, we don't have that kind of backdrop for this conversation. What is interesting is, and you've already answered the question because I wanted to ask, it's, it's quite interesting how someone that's dealing with data speaks about faith. But uh, you've answered the question, so thank you for doing that. Anything else you want to add to that? I think, yeah, I mean, AHA stuff is on, on the back of good advice and people get good advice every day and, and those AHA moments happen every day, but you've got to be prepared to learn out, out there. Um, I've had some good mentors in my life. I'm, I'm blessed to be mates, frankly, with an, with an oak order. Paul Smith is a roads mate and a former springbuck rower and an and a absolute uh, <laughs> cowboy, but he's a fanatical researcher and a hugely impressive individual. And he, his big obsession is with small ventures, and, and he's a treasure trove of insights and thoughts and, and best practices. He's doing tremendously well, engaged with uh, with Microsoft and, and FNB and Alan Gray's Orbis focused at Shanduka, focused on the smaller, on the early stage in, in businesses. And there's mm. fantastic best practices you can leverage off with guys like that if, if you can find them, if you can get access to them. Sounds like he's going to have to be on future CEOs at some point. <laughs> Thanks for the name. Um, please finish the sentence. As a CEO, my highest priority every day is? Yeah, is to ensure my, my team made up of unique people are best deployed. Simple. And, and, and the reason for that is, is we are all unique individuals, we're unique people. We've all got strengths and weaknesses and talents that we've been given. And my job is to understand my, my team and, and to attempt to position them in, in, in their unique shaped hole that they fill in this organization mm. so that they can blossom and, and flourish and, and grow. That, that's pretty much my highest priority every day. Mm, very nice. What's the best advice you've ever received? <laughs> I, I think the, the one is, is businesses about relationships. Standard school stuff, do someone a favor, be a nice guy, it comes back to you, look after Oaks. There's that serenity prayer, which I think is a, a piece of advice available to all of us, and it's generally not spoken, written down, but uh, it, it says, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm. And if you focus on that, you, you tend to be able to concentrate on the things that, that you can control and, and not waste a lot of energy stressing about stuff that's, that's outside of your control. Mm. So then what one habit do you attribute to your success? I hear you on, on the prayer. Does that then come into your, your habits as well? <laughs> Um, look, I'm, I'm a phenomenal dancer. Um, and <laughs> no, I'm not. I was not expecting that. <laughs> that's, that's a first. Thank you. 
I'm also a brilliant lover, but I'm... <laughs> Dude, um, no, I, I think that the one habit is, is, is there is no substitute for hard work. Absolutely none. Um, outcomes in business are binary. You either win or you lose. Business is hugely competitive. And if your competitor and his organization are working 80-hour weeks and you're working 82-hour weeks and you're doing that consistently day after day, those small gains compound and, and you will ultimately come out on top. Another one is, is focusing on, on the small things. If you get the small things right, then the big, big things follow. Hey? Yeah, they do take care of themselves, don't they? What are your three pillars of CEO leadership? Good. Um, be consistent. Yeah. Lead by example and uh, empower excellence. Yeah, you mentioned that a little bit earlier. Anything you want to add? But just some broad strokes, maybe just as a reminder. Mm. I suppose it's also it, it all comes down to values. That that whole model that most businesses follow is you need to have one sort of inspiring, big, hairy, audacious goal that that sort of sits on on top, and and your and your values are front and center of everything. So your values inform your goal, and then your values also inform your KPIs d- down the line and, and how you structure your business down the line. So I think a fourth pillar of, of leadership. Okay, please add, yes. A, a strong focus on, on corporate values. I mean, our, our values are very clear. They excellence. We, we, we want to be number one. Our second value is we're here to serve. It's tremendously fulfilling to, to serve and help people, and it gives richness and meaning to, to your life. It allows you to work in a corporate environment, but feel incredibly rich as a, as a human being the third value is team is very important to us and, and our team isn't only our team members but it's our people out, outside of our organization our customers our suppliers yeah the world is very much about relationships and and people and the, the team piece is critical our, our fourth value is, is extreme personal development it's an incredible engine to activate in human beings if you believe in someone and you equip someone with the tools and you support someone and you genuinely support someone, it's an amazing engine that you start that, that, that never ends. That, mm. that, that person will constantly, independently of you, just be striving and, and, and growing and, and accomplishing things. Um, and it's hugely inspiring to everyone around them. So that's our fourth value. And fifth value is, um, is innovation pioneering. There's always a better way to do something. It's hugely exciting to be doing things, knowing you first people involved in it it doesn't matter whether you're an accountant or you in the in the marketing space or whether you're in the hr space um, or whether you're in a software engineering space you can always do things better and innovate and pioneer and i think that's a that's a wonderful thing when it comes to values there often is certainly in large corporates or large businesses that's a writing on the wall yes versus something that you really believe how have you been able to pull it from just something that sits on the wall to something that people really feel and believe. The hardest thing about values, and, and I can attest to this because I, I was hugely influenced when I read uh, some Jim Collins stuff when I was in India, and I, I spent about four or five days just nonstop on, on a beach in Goa just trying to muscle through what are the values in our organization. And, and I got to them, but it's a hugely introspective process, a hugely time-consuming process. Mm. Values have got to be incredibly sincere. And if there's a lot of sincerity and personal weight behind those values, then I believe they will penetrate the organization. and, and Yeah, transfer and, through and, and there will be ownership even behind mm, them. Mm. And, and then you'll get ambassadors for those values within the organization. What should future CEOs be studying over and above university qualifications or some advanced degrees that are certainly pushed really hard out there in the market? 
Mm. So education is an incredibly profitable industry and it's, it's going to be disrupted. But uh, you can understand the, the, the pressure that's placed for our young people out there to get a formal education and I'm a huge advocate of it. But certainly outside of a formal education, there are some incredible resources, great students of business who've devoted a tremendous energy, delivered incredible research and identified wonderful insights relating to, to business practices. The books, they're sitting on Amazon. You simply need to, to start with, with a couple good books and the ratings engine will, will drive further um, exploration. You'll generally find bright guys will have good, good books uh, for you and, and they'll have good recommendations for you. So you've, you've given us a really good resource. In your opinion, what subjects should they be focusing on? Yeah, it's, it's weird, hey, because business is not, it's about many things and it's, it's about yourself as much as it is about your competitors. It's about your team as, as much as it's, it's about macro, political or, or economic factors. The question is, is about what, what, what books would I recommend? Yeah. Yeah. What subjects you, would you recommend? Yeah. So again, I mean, I liked your answer, by the way. Yeah, I was, okay. was going to just follow it up with great answer, but you haven't finished it yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> What did you say, great answer? Oh, perfect. <laughs> I mean, I think you, you probably want to hack. You, you want to do a bit of philosophy. You want to do a little bit of, of economics. And then you want to just get into the, the business of business. Books I'd recommend, Fountainhead and, and, and Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand was hugely influential when I was younger. On a personal level, I, I found the power of now, now by Eckhart Tolle in, incredibly um, illuminating and provide a lot of clarity to the way I saw the world. The Jim Collins stuff is excellent. Uh, there's a great book called Crucial Conversations. Tribal Leadership is good. Malcolm Gladwell did some really nice stuff with really accessible stuff with outliers. Stephen Covey's Hell of a Simple. There's some heavyweight MBA reading material out there. Uh, there's a book uh, called The Sovereign Individual by by two chaps called Davidson and, and Reese Mogg, which is very interesting in terms of where the world's going. The most important thing is don't read crap books. Don't don't waste your time on, on books that are inferior because it's an absolute waste of your time mm. and, and energy to invest um, in, in books that aren't good. So definitely do your research before you prepare to get and invest. I'd say anything from 10 to 20 hours in a book. Mm, very nice. So we're winding in our conversation at this point. Perhaps we can ask you to, to do two things. First, give yourself a little bit of counsel. Go back in time to when you were 20, 21, 22 perhaps, and give yourself a little bit of counsel. What would you say to yourself and knowing what you know now? And then uh, maybe just a final question uh, is really open-ended. What, what are just some final thoughts that you'd like to share with those who are listening? Hmm. I think your yeah, advice to me and every person is so different and, and we've all got our, our strengths and our weaknesses and, and our vulnerabilities. I'd, I'd probably say just probably believe a little bit more in, in yourself. Hey? That, that's probably the advice I would have given to myself. I think something else also that, that guys growing up must realize is that there's so much value in learning how to think and, and there's a, in thinking. There's so many people who avoid thinking and thinking is hard. There's a reason why IBM had this massive think sitting in their offices, just five letters, just sitting in a massive sign in their offices because thinking is, is what people do not like to do and it's so valuable. Other bit of advice is, is life is hard, eh? And, and specifically how the forces at play in our capitalist environment of, of structured things 
you're either going to be the bug or the windscreen, and you, you must you must make some hard sacrifices early on if if you're going to avoid uh, being the bug. The world's not a friendly place; it's a hard place, and if you want to get through it and and be successful, you've got to be able to take a lot more pain than the next man, um, and and have a very strict adherence to values. But you, you won't see the benefits in five years, but you will certainly start seeing the dividends paying uh, the, the further and the deeper you go. The only thing, if I may, just um, to bring balance to those people who got stuck on something that you said, which is that the world is a hard place, I, I would hate for them to walk away from this conversation and think, yeah, no, I need to be a really hard person. You're not a hard person. You, you said that you are quite, actually quite a soft person, but there are non-negotiables in life. So... Mm. How have you balanced the world as a hard place mm. with perhaps being a little bit, you described it as soft, so I'm mm. going to use soft. Mm. How, how have you balanced that out? Thank you, Gareth. So I'm going, to, I'm going to answer your question, Diversion. I'm going to go back to it. And there's an incredible book called Getting to Yes. It's a book by the Harvard Negotiation Project. So Harvard, excellent resource of, of, excellent of, of, of business books. And uh, Getting to Yes talks about negotiation. And the illuminating thing is that negotiation does not have to be hard. In fact, ineffective negotiating is, is being hard. The point of this book is to, and it was fascinating to me, is actually to be creative and to empathize with the other person and to work together versus against. Going back to the world is a hard place, the reality is you don't have to be hard to succeed in this world. That's the most important thing. Mm. And what I found is amazing is the higher up in organizations you go, the, the warmer, more engaging, more kind, more good and pure-hearted the people are. That's a key, that's a key point, that. Uh, the perception is otherwise, but that's a key point because uh, it's so true. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. You, the higher up you go in these organizations, you, you actually appeal to humans on a fundamental level, and that's the language that they talk and understand. At, well, what's tough is, is when, you, when you're sort of in the lower rungs of an organization where there's a whole bunch of politics and vendettas and, and, and the sort of rats in the bucket scenario. That's very hard. Mm. I wish I had the, the advice of that. I've unfortunately, unfortunately managed to circumvent all that. I'm a very poor political animal, and, and I'd be eaten alive in a, in a corporate. And that's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your insights and your, your added comments there. That's such an important point for all of us to be able to understand and to realize is that we really don't have to be what we see on TV or mm. what perceptions really uh, sometimes drive us to the behavior that uh, perceptions drive us to. We don't have to, to have that. We don't have to display it. So thank you for your comments. It's a pleasure. Will Harris, CEO of G Maven, it's been an absolute pleasure. You're in a very exciting environment, and we hope um, and wish you all the best. Thank you very much, Gareth. It, it's been a real pleasure. You can either be a bug or be the windscreen. Don't read crap books. Don't read books that are inferior. Don't read books that are inferior. I love that. It was really good insights. Will was, it was such an authentic conversation. We were talking about trust earlier. And, and I do, I walked away with Will's contact details and we've been in touch since because I truly believe that he's an authentic leader that you can trust. And so it's been a really good show. How have you felt about it? I can't wait for the next couple of weeks to come to see and feel and understand and motivate people about what we are doing with Coronation. Well, this future CEO's conversation was proudly brought to you by Coronation. Ups, downs, good days, bad days. Since Coronation started 25 years ago, through the highs and lows, they work every day to make your money work for you. Coronation, 
Trust is earned. Future CEOs on cliffcentral.com.